Hello, welcome to my recording of the great, great audiobook of Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. If you like this book and you need stuff to do with the book, teachers, head on over to my Teacher Pay Teacher store. It's just SWN, uh, the S, the letter WN, uh, and you'll find a whole lot of stuff over there like Google Forms and questions that go along with this book as well. So enjoy the story. Chapter 6. After the terrifying night, the bright morning sun was a welcome sight. I fixed breakfast and soon we were on our way. I tried to get the pups to follow me so as to lighten my load. They would for a way and then, sitting down on their rears, they would cry and whimper, and back in the sack they would go, with their heads sticking out of the holes and their long ears flopping. I moved on. About midday I entered the country I knew. I wasn't far from home. I dropped down out of the mountains into the bottoms. Far above the place I had crossed the river on my way to town. Staying on the left of the river, I followed its course past several campgrounds, but didn't stop until I came to the one where I had found the magazine. Here I took the pups out of the sack and sat down in the warm sand. As the afternoon wore on, I sat there deep in the thought. I was trying to think what I was going to tell my mother and father. I could think of nothing. Finally, I decided I would just tell them the truth. <clears throat> And with the help of my new overalls, cloth, and candy, I would weather the storm. My pups were having a big playing time. With their little front paws locked around each other, they were growling, rolling, and chewing on one another. They looked so cute, I laughed out loud. While I was watching their romping, the thought came, Well, I haven't named them. I went over the list of names, and for him I tried Red, Bugle, Lead... Name after name as before, and for her I tried Susie, Mabel, and Queen, all kinds of girl names, but none of them seemed to fit. Still mumbling names over and over, I glanced up. There, carved in the white bark of a sycamore tree, was a large heart. And in the center of the heart were two names, Dan and Ann. The name Dan was a little larger than Ann. It was wide and bold. The scar stood out more. The name Ann was small, neat, and even. I stared unbelieving, for there were my names, and they were perfect. I walked over and picked up my pups, and looking at him, I said, Your name is Dan. I'll call you Old Dan. Looking at her, I said, And your name, little girl, is Ann. I'll call you Little Ann. It was then I realized it was all too perfect. Here in this fisherman's camp, I had found the magazine and the ad. I looked over at the old sycamore log. There I'd asked God to help me get two hound pups. There were the pups rolling and playing in the warm sand. I thought of the old KC baking powder can and the fishermen, how freely they had given their nickels and dimes. I looked up again to the names carved in the tree, and yes, it was all there like a large puzzle. Piece by piece, each fit perfectly until the puzzle was complete. It could not have happened without the help of an unseen power. I stayed at the campground until dark. I knew I had to go home, but I put it off as long as I could. The crying of the pups telling me they were hungry made up my mind for me. I knew the time had come for me to face my mother and father. I sacked up my dogs and waded the river. As I came out of the bottoms, I could see the lamplight glow from the windows of our home. One of the small yellow squares darkened for an instant. Someone had walked across the floor. I wondered who it was. I heard Daisy, our milk cow, moo. And I was thinking so hard of what I would say, it startled me for a second. 
Reaching the gate to our house, I stopped. I had never thought of our home very pretty, but that night it looked different. It looked clean and neat and peaceful, nestled there in the foothills of the Ozarks. Yes, on that night, I was proud of our home. My bare feet made no noise as I crossed the porch. With my free hand, I reached and pulled the leather that worked the latch. Slowly, the door swung inward. I couldn't see my father or sisters. They were too far to the right of me, but my mother was directly in front of the door, sitting in her old cane-bottom rocker, knitting. She looked up, and I saw all the worry and grief leave her eyes. Her head bowed down. The knitting in her hands came up to cover her face. I stepped inside the room. I, I wanted to run to her and comfort her and tell her how sorry I was for all the worry and grief I had caused her. The booming voice of my father shook me from my trance. He said, Well, what do you got there? Laughing, he got up from his chair and came over to me. He reached and took the sack from my shoulder. When we started looking for you, he said, I went to the store and your grandpa told me all about it. It wasn't too hard to figure out what you'd done. But you should have told us. I ran to my mother and dropping to my knees, I buried my face in her lap. As mama patted my head, I heard her say in a quavering voice, Oh, why didn't you tell us why? I couldn't answer. Between sobs, I heard the squeals of delight from my sisters as they fondled my pups. I heard my father say, What's all this other stuff you got? Without raising my head from my mother's lap in a choking voice, I said, One is for you, and one is for mama, and the other's for the girls. I heard the snapping of string and the rattle of paper. The oohs and ahs from my sisters were wonderful to hear. Papa came over to Mama and laying the cloth on the arm of her chair, he said, Well, you've been wanting a new dress. Here's enough cloth to make a half a dozen dresses. Realizing that everything was forgiven, I stood up and dried my eyes. Papa was pleased with his new overalls. My sisters forgot the pups for the candy and the light that was shining from my mother's eyes as she fingered the cheap cotton cloth was something I will never forget. Mama warmed some milk for the pups. They drank until their little tummies were tight and round. As I ate, Papa sat down at the table and started talking man talk to me. He asked, Well, how are things in town? I told him it was boiling with people. The wagon yard was full of wagons and teams, and he asked if I had seen anyone I knew. I told him I hadn't, but the station master had asked about him. He asked me where I had spent that night. I told him about the cave in Sparrowhawk Mountains. He said that must have been the one that they called Robber's Cave. My youngest sister piped up. Did you stay all night with some robbers? My older sister said, Silly, that was a long time ago. There aren't any robbers there now. The other one put her nickels worth in. Weren't you scared? No, I wasn't scared of staying in the cave, but I heard a mountain lion scream and it scared me half to death. Ah, oh, they won't bother you, Papa said. You had a fire, didn't you? I said, yes. He said, well, ah, they'll never bother you unless they are wounded or cornered, but if they are, you better look out. Papa asked me how I liked town. I said I didn't like it at all and wouldn't live there even if they gave it to me. With a querying look on his face, he said, I'm afraid I don't understand. I thought you always wanted to go to town. I did, but, but I don't anymore. I don't like the people there and I couldn't understand them. What was wrong with them, he asked. I told him how they'd stared at me and had even laughed and made fun of me. He said, I don't think they were making fun of you, were they? Yes, they were, I said. And to beat all, the boys jumped on me and knocked me down in the dirt. If it hadn't been for the marshal, I would have been taking a bad beating, Papa said. <laughs> so you met the marshal. What would you think of him? I told him he was a nice man that he'd bought me a bottle of soda pop. 
At the mention of soda pop, the blue eyes of my sisters opened wide. They started firing questions at me, wanting to know what color it was and what it tasted like. I told him it was strawberry, and it bubbled and tickled when I drank it, and it made me burp. The eager questions of my three little sisters had an effect on my father and mother. Papa said, Billy, I don't want you to feel badly about the people in town. I don't think they were poking fun at you anyway, not the way that you think they were. Well, maybe they weren't, I said, but I still don't want to ever live in town. It's too crowded, and you could never get a breath of fresh air. In a sober voice, my father said, Someday you may have to live in town. Your mother and I don't intend to live in these hills all of our lives. It's no place to raise a family. A man's children should have an education. They should get out and see the world and meet people. I don't see why we have to move to town to get an education, I said. Hasn't Mama taught us how to read and write? Well, there's more to education than reading and writing, Papa said. Much more. I asked him when he thought we'd be moving to town. Well, it'll be some time yet. We don't have any money now, but I'm hoping someday we will. From the stove where she was heating salt water for my feet, Mama said in a low voice, I'll pray every day and night for that day to come. I don't want you children to grow up without an education, not even knowing what a bottle of soda pop is. Or even seeing the inside of a schoolhouse. I don't think I could stand that. I'll just keep praying and someday the good Lord may answer my prayer. I told my mother I had seen the schoolhouse in town. Again, I had to answer a thousand questions from my sisters. I told them it was made of red brick and was bigger than Grandpa's store. A lot bigger. There must have been at least a thousand kids going to school there. I told all about the teeter-totters, the swings made out of log chains, the funny-looking pipe that ran up the side of the building and how I climbed up in it and slid out like the other kids. I didn't tell them how I came out. Oh, I think that was a fire escape, Papa said. A fire escape? It looked like a slide to me. Did you notice where it made that bend up in the top? He asked. I nodded my head. Well, inside the schools there is a door, he said. If the school gets on fire, they open the door. The children jump in the pipe and they slide out to safety. Boy, that's a keen way of getting out of a fire, I said. Well, it's getting late, Papa said. We'll talk about this some other time. We better get to bed as we got a lot of work to do tomorrow. My pups were put in the corn crib for the night. I covered them with shucks and kissed them goodnight. The next day was a busy one for me. With the hampering help of my sisters, I made the little doghouse. Papa cut the ends of his check lines and gave them to me for collars. With painstaking care, deep in the tough leather, I scratched the name Old Dan on one and Little Ann on the other. And with a nail and rock, two holes were punched in each end of the straps. I put them around their small necks and laced the ends together with bailing wire. That evening, I had a talk with my mother. And I told her about praying for the two pups, about the magazine and the plans I had made. I told her how hard I'd tried to find names for them and how strange it was finding them carved in the bark of the sycamore tree. With a smile on her face, she asked, Well, do you believe God heard your prayer and helped you? Yes, Mama, I said. I know He did, and I'll always be thankful. Chapter 7 It seems that the worries and wants of a young boy never cease. Now that I have my pups, another obstacle had cropped up. This one looked absolutely impossible. I had to have a coonskin so I could train them. With my three little traps and a bulldog determination, I set out to trap Mr. Ringtail. For three solid weeks, I practically lived on the river. I tried every trick I knew. 
it was no use. I just couldn't catch the wily oak coons. In desperation, I went to my grandfather. He smiled as he listened to my tale of woe. Well, well, we'll have to do something about that, he said. To train them dogs right, you'll need that coon hide, that's for sure. Now, you watch the store while I go over to the tool shed. I'll be right back. After what seemed like an eternity, I saw him coming. He was carrying a brace and a bit, and that was all. With a mischievous smile on his face, he said, You wouldn't think a fella could catch a coon with this brace and bit, would you? I thought he was kidding me, and it made me feel bad. Why, Grandpa, I said, You couldn't catch a coon in a jillion years with that thing. You just don't have any idea how smart they are. Yes, you can, he said. You bet your boots you can. Why, when I was a boy, I caught coons on top of coons with one of these things. I saw Grandpa was serious, and I got interested. He laid the brace down on the counter, picked up a small paper sack, and filled it about half full with horseshoe nails. Now, you do exactly everything exactly as I tell you, he said, and you'll catch that coon. Yes, sir, Grandpa, I will. I'll do anything to catch one of them. Now, the first thing you'll need is some bright objects, he said. The best thing is bright, shiny tin. Cut out some little round pieces and a little smaller than this. Do you understand? I nodded my head. Now, he said, you go down along the river where there are a lot of coon tracks. Find a good solid log close by and bore a hole down about six inches. Drop one of those bright pieces of tin down in the hole and be sure it's laying right on the bottom. I was all ears. I didn't want to miss one word my grandfather said. Now and then I would glance at him to see if he was just kidding me. In a serious voice, he went on talking. Now pay close attention, he said, because this is the main part of the trap. With eyes as big as a hoot owl's, I looked and listened. He took four of the horseshoe nails from the sack. With the thumb and a forefinger of his left hand, he made a small O about the size of the bit, which was an inch and a half in diameter. Now, we'll say this is the hole that you bored in the log. About an inch apart, drive these nails in on a slant opposite of each other. Holding one of the nails in his right hand, he showed me the right angle. The ends of the nails will enter the hole about halfway between the top and the piece of tin. He continued, now leave an opening between the sharp points big enough for a coon to get his paw through. He asked me if I understood. Again, I nodded my head and moved a little closer to him. How's that going to catch a coon, Grandpa? I asked. Oh, it'll catch him all right, and it won't fail. You see, a coon is a curious little animal. Anything that is bright and shiny, it attracts him. And he will reach right in and pick it up. When his paw closes on the bright object, it balls up. And when he starts to pull it from his the hole, the sharp ends of the nails will gouge into his paw and he's caught. He looked over at me. Well, what do you think of it? He asked. I closed my eyes and in my mind I could see the funnel-like entrance of the hole and the sharp slanting points of the nails. I could see the coon reaching in for the shiny piece of metal. Naturally, his paw would be much larger when closed than it was when he reached in. It'd be impossible for it to pass the sharp nails. It was all looking pretty good to me, and I was on the point of saying so when it hit me. Why, all the coon had to do was open his paw, drop the object, and he was free. It all blew up then and there. I just knew my grandfather was playing a joke on me. I stepped back and almost cried as I said, Grandpa, you're kidding me. That kind of trap couldn't catch a coon. Why, all you have to do is open his paw, drop the piece of tin, and he could pull it from the hole. Grandpa started roaring with laughter. This did make me feel bad. With tears in my eyes, I started for the door. Wait a minute, Grandpa said. I'm not kidding you. 
Oh, I know I like to have my jokes, same as any man, but I meant every word I said. I turned around and looked at him. He had stopped laughing, and there was a hurt expression on his face. I wasn't laughing at you, he said. I was laughing more at myself than you. I just wanted to see if you were smart enough to see that there was a way the coon could free himself. A fellow wouldn't have to be very smart to see that, I said. Grandpa started talking seriously again. <laughs> you know, he said, a coon has more than one peculiarity about him. When I was a boy, I had a pet coon, and by watching him, I saw and learned a lot of things. He had a den in an old hollow tree in front of our yard. I don't remember, know the number of times I'd have to climb that tree and get my mother's scissors, buttons, needles, and thimbles from his den. Why, he'd even carry out our knives, forks, and spoons. Anything that was bright and shiny, he took to his den. Grandpa stopped talking for a few minutes. I could see a faraway look in his eyes. Once again, he was living in those long-ago days. I waited in silence for him to go on with his story. One of the most peculiar things about that coon was his front feet. Once he wrapped those little paws around something, he'd never let go. My mother had an old churn. It was one of those kind with a small hole in the lid for the dasher. Uh, when she would get through the churning, she would take the dasher out to wash it, and that crazy coon would climb up on top of the churn, poke his little front paw through the hole, and get a fistful of butter. The hole was small, and when he closed his paw, he couldn't get it back out. All he had to do was open it and drop the butter, and he would be free. But do you think he would? No, sir. He would carry that churn lid all over the house, squalling and growling. Why, it took everyone in the house to free him. I'd have to wrap him up in a gunny sack or an old coat and pry his claws loose from the butter. Seeing this time after time is what gave me the idea for this trap. And once he reaches in and gets a hold of that tin, he's caught because he will never open his paw. With my confidence restored, it all sounded pretty good to me, and I was anxious to try out this wonderful plan. I thanked him, and taking the brace and nails, I left the store. And by the time I reached home, it was too late in the day to start making my traps. That night, I talked the idea over with Papa. I've heard of coons being caught that way, he said, but I never paid much attention to it. Your grandfather should know, though, he, for he was quite a coon hunter in his, when he was a boy. From what he told me, I said, it never fails. Papa asked if I wanted him to help make the traps. No, I said, I think I can do it myself. I didn't sleep too well that night. I bored holes, drove nails, and fought coons practically all night. Early the next morning, I went to the trash pile, and as I stirred around in the rusty old cans, I thought of another time I'd search for a can. Finally, I found the one I wanted. It was bright and shiny. Everything was going along just fine until Mama caught me cutting out the circles of tin with her scissors. I always swore she could find the biggest switches of any woman in the Ozarks. That time, she overdid it. I was almost to the river before the stinging stopped. It wasn't hard to find places for my traps. All along the river, large sycamore logs lay partly submerged in the clear blue water. On one, where I could see the muddy little tracks of the ringtails, I bored a hole and dropped in a piece of tin and drove my nails. On down the river I went, making my traps, and stopped when I ran out of nails, although I had 14 traps. That night, Papa asked me how I was making out. All right, I said. I've got 14 of them made. He laughed and said, well, you never can tell. You may catch one. The next morning, I was up with the chickens. I took my pups with me as I just knew I'd have a big ringtail trapped, and I wanted them to see it. I was a disappointed boy when I peeked out of the canebrake in my last trap and didn't see a coon. All the way home, I tried to figure out what I had done wrong. I went to Papa. He put his thinking cap on and thought the situation over. 
Maybe you left too much scent around when you made those traps, he said. If you did, it'll take a while for it to go away. Now, I wouldn't get too impatient. I'm pretty sure you'll catch one sooner or later. Papa's words perked me up just like the air does an inflated inner tube. He was right. I had simply left too much scent around my traps. All I had to do was wait until I disappeared and I'd have my coon eye. Morning after morning, it was the same old disappointment. No coon. When a week had gone by and still no results from my traps, I gave up. What little patience I had was completely gone. I was firmly convinced that coons didn't walk on sycamore logs anymore. And bright, shiny objects had about as much effect on them as a coon hound would. One morning, I didn't get up to run my trap line. I stayed in bed. Man, what was the use? It was just a waste of time. When the family sat down to breakfast, I heard my oldest sister say, Mama, isn't Billy going to get up for breakfast? Why, is he still in his room? Mama asked. I didn't know. I thought he was down looking at his traps. I heard Papa say, I'll go wake him. He came to the door and said, You better get up, Billy. Breakfast is ready. I don't want any breakfast, I said. I'm not hungry. Papa took one look at me and saw I had a bad case of the ringtail blues. He came over and sat down on the bed. What's the matter? You having coon trouble? Grandpa lied to me, Papa. I should have known better. Who ever heard of anyone catching a coon with a brace and bit and a few horseshoe nails? I wouldn't say that, Papa said. I don't think your grandpa deliberately lied to you. Besides, I've heard of coons being caught that way. Well, I don't think I've done anything wrong. I've done everything exactly as he said, and I haven't caught one yet. I still think it's your scent, Papa said. You know, someone told me, or I read it somewhere, that it takes about a week for the scent to die away. How long has it been since you made those traps? It's been over a week, I said. Well, the way I figure, it's about time for you to catch one. Yes, sir. I wouldn't be surprised if you came in with one any day now. After Papa left the room, I lay thinking of what he had said. Any day now. I got up and hurried into my clothes. As soon as I was finished with breakfast, I called my pups and lit out for the river. The first trap was empty, so was the second. That old feeling of doubt came over me again, and I thought, It's no use. I'll never catch one, and... I so need the skin to train my pups. On the way to my third trap, I had to walk through a thick stand of wild cane. It was tough going, and my pups started whimpering. I stopped and picked them up. We'll be out of this in a few minutes, I said, and then you'll be all right. I came plowing out of the matted mess and was right on the trap before I realized it. I was met with a loud squall. I was so surprised I dropped the pups, and there he was, my first coon. He was humped up on a sycamore log, growling and showing his teeth. He kept jerking his front paw, which was jammed deep in the hole I had bored. He was trapped by his own curiosity. I couldn't move, and I felt like my wind had been cut off. I kept hearing a noise, but I couldn't make out what it was. The movement of the boy pup shook me from my trance. The unidentified sound was his bawling. He was trying to climb up on the log and get to the coon. I yelled at him and darted in to get a hold of his collar. On seeing my movement, the coon let out another squall. It scared me half to death. I froze in my tracks and started yelling again at my pup. The girl pup worked around behind the coon and climbed up on the log. I screamed at her and she paid no attention to me. Digging his sharp little claws in the bark, the boy pup made it to the top. And he didn't hesitate. Straight down the sycamore log he charged. With teeth bared, the coon waited. 
When my pup was about two feet from him, he made a lunge. The coon just seemed to pull my pup up under his stomach and went to work with tooth and claw. The girl pup saved him. Like a cat in a corn crib, she sneaked in from behind and sank her needle-sharp teeth in the coon's back. It was too much for old Ringy. He turned the boy pup loose, turning around, and slapped her clear off the log. She came running to me, yelping her head off. I grabbed her up in my arms and looked for the boy pup. When the coon had turned him loose, he too had fallen off the log. He was trying to get back to the coon. I darted in and grabbed him by the hind leg. With a pup under each arm and running as fast as I could, I lit out for the house. And coming out on the bottoms into the fresh plowed field, I set my pups down so I could get a little bit more speed. I started yelling as soon as I came inside of the house. Mama came flying out with my sisters right behind her. Papa was out by the barn harnessing his team. Mama yelled something about him, about, to him about a snake. He dropped the harness, jumped over the rail fence, and a long lope started for me. Mama reached me first. She grabbed me and shouted, Where did it bite you? Bite me, I said. Well, Mama, I'm not bit. I've got him. Mama, I've got him. Got what? Mama asked. A big coon, I said. The biggest one in the river bottoms. He's, the, he's this big, Mama. I made a circle with my arms as big as a 20-gallon keg. Mama just groaned way deep down and covered her face with her hands. Some big tears squeezed between her fingers, almost in a whisper I had heard her say, Thank God, I thought you were snake bitten. My sisters, seeing Mama crying, puckered up and started bawling. He needs a whipping, the oldest one said. That's what he needs, scaring Mama that way. Something busted loose inside me and I cried a little too. I didn't mean to scare Mama, I sniffed. I just wanted everyone to know I caught a coon. Up until this time, Papa hadn't said a word. He just stood looking on. Here now, here now. Let's have one of these. Let's have none of this crying. He didn't mean to scare anyone. Taking his handkerchief from his pocket, he stepped over to Mama, put his arm around her, and started drying her eyes. Mama poked her head around him and glared at me. Billy Coleman, if you ever scare me like that again, I'll take a switch and I'll wear you to a frazzle. It's hurt my feelings, and I really did get tuned up. Everyone's mad at me, I said, and I haven't done anything but catch the biggest coon in the river. Mama came over. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be cross, but you did scare me. I thought a rattlesnake had bitten you. Now, that, that's all, it's all said when Papa said. We had to better go get that coon. Looking at Mama, he said, Why don't you go? You and the girls go with us? I don't think it'll take long. Mama looked at me, smiled, and turned to the girls. Would you like to go? she asked. Their only answer was a lot of squealing and jumping up and down. On the way, Mama noticed some blood on my shirt. She stopped me and started looking me over. Where'd that come from? She asked. Did that coon bite you? No, Mama, I said. I didn't get close enough for him to bite me. With a worried look on her face, she jerked out my shirt. You don't seem to be scratched anywhere, she said. Maybe this is where it came from, Papa said. He reached down and picked up my boy pup. He was His little black nose was split wide open and was bleeding. I saw a relieved look come over Mama's face. Looking at me, she started shaking her head. I don't know, she said. I just don't know. Did that coon get a hold of this pup, Papa asked. He sure did, Papa. But it wasn't the coon's fault. If it hadn't been for little Ann, he'd have eaten him up. I told how my dogs had tied into the coon. Papa laughed as he fondled my pup. This dog is going to be a good coon dog, he said, and I mean a good one. The coon started squalling as soon as we came in sight. My goodness, Mama said. You would think anything so small would be so vicious. Papa picked up a club. Now everybody stand back out of the way. This won't take long. 
my pups were wanting to get to the coon so badly that they were hard to hold. I had to squeeze them up tight to keep them from jumping right out of my arms. My sisters with eyes as big as blue marbles got behind Mama and peeked around her. Papa whacked the coon with a good one across the head. He let out a loud squall, growled, and showed his teeth. He tried hard to get to Papa, but the trap held him. The girls buried their faces in Mama's dress and started bawling. Mama turned her back on the fight. I heard her say, Oh, I wish we hadn't come, poor thing. Papa whacked him again and it was all over. It was too much for Mama and the girls and they left. I heard the tall cane rattling as they ran for the house. After the coon was killed, I walked over and Papa was trying to get to the coon's paw from the trap. He just couldn't do it. Taking a pair of pliers from his pocket, he said, It's a good thing I had these along or we would have to cut his foot off. After Papa had pulled the nails, he lifted the coon's paw from the hole. And there, clamped firmly in it, was the piece of bright tin. In a low voice, Papa said, Well, I'll be darned. All he had to do was open it up and he was free, but he wouldn't do it. Your grandfather was right. A sorrowful look came over Papa's face as he ran his fingers through the soft yellow hair. Now, Billy, he said, I want you to take a hammer and pull the nails from every one of those traps. It's summertime now, and their fur isn't any good. Besides, I don't think this is very sportsmanlike. The coon doesn't have a chance. It's all right this time. You needed this one, but from now on, I want you to catch them with your dogs. That way they have at least a 50-50 chance. I will, Papa. That's what I intended to do. While we were skinning the coon, Papa asked me when I was going to start training my dogs. I don't know. Do you think they're too young? No, I don't think so. I've heard that the younger they are, the better it is. Well, in that case, I said I'll start tomorrow. With the help of my oldest sister, we started giving my pups their first lessons. She would hold their collars while I made trails with the hide for them to follow. I'd climb trees that leaned out over the river and jump out into the water, swim to the other side and make trails up and down the bank. With a long pole and wire, I'd drag the hide on top of rail fences, swing it through the air, and let it touch the ground 20 or 30 feet away. I did everything with that hide a coon would do and probably a lot of things a coon couldn't do. It was a beautiful sight to see my pups work those trails. At first, they were awkward and didn't know what to do, but they would never quit trying. Old Dan would get so eager and excited, he would overrun a trail. Where it twisted or turned, he would run straight on, bawling up a storm. It didn't take him long to realize that a smart old coon didn't always run in a straight line. Little Ann never overran a trail. She would wiggle and twist, cry and whine, but pretty soon she would figure it out. At first they were afraid of water, and I never would admit it to myself. I always said that they just didn't like to get wet. They would follow the trail to the stream and stop. Sitting down on their rears, they would cry and beg for help. With a pup under each arm, I'd wade out into the stream and set them down in the cool water. Nine times out of ten, one pup would swim one way and the other one would just go the opposite way. I had a time with this part of their training, but my persistence had no bounds. It wasn't long until they loved the water. Old Dan would jump out as far as he could and practically knock the river dry. Little Ann would ease herself in and swim like a muskrat for the opposite shore. I taught my dogs every trick I knew and any new ones I heard about. I taught them how to split up on a riverbank to search for the hidden trail because it was impossible to tell where a coon would come out of the water. Sometimes he might swim downstream and the other times he might swim upstream, but maybe he would come back to the bank and he had just left or he would cross over to the other side. Perhaps he would stop in the middle of the stream of an old drift.
Sometimes he would come out of the water by catching the dangling limbs on a leaning branch, birch and climbing up, never touching the bank. Or he could come out on the same trail he used to go in and backtrack, and he would sometimes crawl up under the undermined bank or into an old muskrat den. One of the favorite tricks of a smart old ringtail is the tree barking tick trick. This he accomplished by running far up on the side of a tree and using his stout legs for leverage, springing 20 or 30 feet away before touching the ground. Dumb hounds trail up the tree and start bawling tree, and I taught my dogs to circle for a good 100 yards to be sure he was still in the tree before bawling. In order to learn more about coon hunting, I'd hang around my grandfather's store and listen to the stories told by the coon hunters. <laughs> Some of the tales I heard were long and tall, but I believed them all. I could always tell when Grandpa was kidding me by the twinkle in his eyes. He told me how a coon could climb right up the fog and disappear in the stars, and how he, he could leap on a horse's back and run him over your dogs. I didn't care, for I loved to hear the tall tales. Anything that had coon hair in it, I believed completely. All through that summer and into the late fall, the training went on. Although I was worn down to a frazzle, I was a happy boy, and I figured I was ready for the ringtails. Late one evening, tired and exhausted, and I sat down by a big sycamore and called my dogs to me. It's all over, I said. There'll be no more lessons. I've worked hard, and I've done my best. From now on, it's all up to you. Hunting season is just a few days away, and I'm going to let you rest, for I want you to be in good shape the night it opens. It was wonderful indeed how I could have could have a heart-to-heart -heart talks with my dogs, and they always seemed to understand. Each question I asked was answered in their own doggish way. Although they couldn't talk in my terms, they had a language of their own that was easy to understand. Sometimes I could see the answer in their eyes, and again it would be in the friendly wagging of their tails. Other times I could hear the answer in a low whine or feel it in the soft caress of a warm flicking tongue. In some way, they would always answer. <laughs>